Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. You can see what they they fought for their country's independence, but they were being denigrated um, because of their the color of their skin, and some of them were still being enslaved because of the color of their skin. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor John Reese, and he has a new series of articles on influential African Americans in the American Revolution, and he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by West Home Publishing, publishers of To the End of the World, Nathaniel Green, Charles Cornwallis, and The Race to the Dan by Andrew Waters, available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is John Reese, returning guest, and he's written not one, not two, but an entire series of articles highlighting the remembrances of African-American men and women who served in the American Revolution and helped the revolutionary cause. It's a really great series of articles. They're lengthy reads. And one of the things I spoke with John on the air about was why write a series? Um, And that's something that as historians, you know, we, we kind of have as an option available to us. If you find a topic that's worthy of an article, uh, then go for it. It's not quite long enough for a book. Or maybe it's not a matter of length, but it's a matter of how the information's best received. Maybe how it's digested in articles. John's articles on the Revolutionary War veterans is just a great example of not only the kinds of, uh, I guess, capabilities you have to present your information, but really the quality of articles published here at the Journal of the American Revolution. You can read them individually and get something out of it. You can read them together for a a complete picture. Uh, But it's a wonderful opportunity to learn about some really important people who were vital to the revolutionary cause. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with John Reese. John Reese. Welcome back. Uh, Brady, it's, real, it's really, really good to be back. Um, I enjoyed it the first time, and I know I'll enjoy it the second time. Tell us about your background. Uh, well, I, I've, I was kind of born and raised in the heart of uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is um, kind of the heart of the revolution. I mean, you know, not that far. It's 45 minutes north of Philadelphia, not that far from Princeton uh, Battlefield, um, and um, eight minutes from the location where Washington across the Delaware in 76. Um, and that's not the reason why I got I got, why I got into this, but it, but it was it was part of my childhood. I mean, you could you, you couldn't miss it. Uh, eventually, the reason I got into writing, I mean, I've I've always been interested in history. I mean, I started out as a World War II nut in middle school and high school. Uh, changed over, I think, to Napoleonics and then the Civil War. And at the, at the same time, I, I read all kinds of history. I mean, I, I but those are my focuses. And eventually, I. 
I mean, I even did some reading on the revolution and, and some studying, but uh, eventually I uh, joined a living history, living history unit in 1984 and pretty much started researching probably within the next year after I joined because I wasn't getting answers that I, that I was interested in. Um, you know, people were turning me on to books to read and things like that, but it just wasn't enough. So uh, luckily I've, I live I lived because they've, they've actually since moved into Philadelphia, but the, the David library of the American revolution, uh, was in Washington's crossing until about a year ago. And that's a, that's, it actually still is again. It's, it's, it's lo- it'll be located right next to, uh, independence hall in Philadelphia in the American philosophical society, which is where it moved to, but it was right in Washington's crossing Pennsylvania. And it was a free research library. Um, you just had to go in, sign your name, give your details, and and then you could go in anytime you wanted to. They had microfilm, they had uh, published volumes, they had um, at that time they had man- manuscripts too, which you if you you could request to see. And uh, it was a godsend. I mean, I was able to do a lot of research there, um, and because of because of my my joining a living history unit, and it was always my. My love, anyway, was it was for the like the common soldiers' war, the you know the the history of of, of everyday people um, in extraordinary circumstances. Um, my focus basically became uh, the the world of the Continental Soldier, um, which eventually uh, covered the, the the world of the women with the army, and um, eventually uh, you know I I uh, started picking up tidbits of all kinds of things, including food and wagons and soldiers and, and eventually i started running into uh, more and more uh references to uh african-american soldiers um so you know I, i've i've written about conscription in the army uh you know watercraft with the army it, it, pretty much any kind of detail you can think of that, that has to do with uh, what the soldiers would have experienced in the in the world and i've also written about um some few uh either campaigns or, or individual battles um not a lot, but I, but uh, you know, I've done that too. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, as I, as I said, I, I started living history in 1984. I, I wanted to learn more about my unit, and nobody could tell me. So I started researching that unit in particular in about 1985. But the thing is, as I, as I was researching the unit, I would run into all kinds of information that was interesting, but I, at that point I had no use for, but I, I still, I, I still squirreled it away. Um, and again, you know, it was, it was food. It was, it was all kinds of, all kinds of different things. Anything that, that, that piqued my interest and that seemed to be connected to the world of the common soldier. Uh, and of course, eventually, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure when I first in my own research ran information on African-American soldiers, but Probably sometime in the late 80s, I read uh, Benjamin Quarles's uh, The Negro and the American Revolution, which was written in the 60s, but which is still a, a really good book. And I, I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, it's basically an overview of, of African-American participation and contribution to the war. Um, but again, I, you know, I started finding more and more tidbits of, uh, of African-Americans serving. And by about, oh, about 2006, or so I figured I had enough for an overview article, which was published in Military Collector and Historian, um, and then uh, in a couple other, I think one other journal, I think the, the defunct, the defunct uh, hard copy Journal of the American Revolution, 
which I think was out of South Carolina. Um, and then I, uh, I got interested and had enough information that I, I, uh, I decided to do a second article and that was, um, on, uh, Southern soldiers, Southern, uh, I'm sorry, African-American soldiers in Southern continental regiments. Um, because there were actually as many black soldiers in the Northern regiments as there were in the Southern regiments. Um, which, you know, some people may think is a conundrum, but that's, but it's just true. It's, it's just the way it was. And I, and I just, uh, I was aided by, if anybody's familiar with the, uh, the online, I think it's uh, Southern campaigns, pensions, um, site it's, uh, I think C, C, C Leon Harris. And, uh, oh, I can't remember the, the other gentleman who runs, who runs it, but it's, uh, it's made up of, made up of transcriptions of, uh, pensions of soldiers who, um, and 19th century pensions of soldiers who uh, uh, either served in southern southern regiments. I mean, this is militia. This is continentals. Anything you can think of, uh, or uh, northern soldiers who served who served served in southern campaigns. The thing is, they're all they're all transcribed, and it's fully searchable. So when I did that southern uh, continental soldiers uh, article, uh, African American soldiers article, I uh, I just searched for different forms of uh, Negro. You know, black, mulatto, um, any anything I could, you know, all kinds of spelling variations I could think of, and I came up with a with a really good base of soldiers to base that article on. And those two articles be, became the basis of uh, of my book. Uh, they were good soldiers, African Americans uh, serving in the Continental Army, um, which was published in 2019. Um, you know, obviously I had to do a lot more research to get to get the book out, but that that they were a good basis. They were a very good basis. Uh, the reason I decided to do this this article was uh, after I wrote the book, I continued researching and and writing about the subject. And um, at a certain point, I realized that uh, I was interested in for my book. I I think I included I think four four newspaper either newspaper or other 19th century accounts of uh, of African American veterans. Uh, which I thought was interesting because they were they were receiving recognition at a time when you know when when blacks were being denigrated, especially you know, and slavery was was on the rise. Um, so I originally just did it. I I started a blog, which I don't think anybody's looked at, but but it's basically been been helpful to me because I've been able to uh, to work through some other articles and some other work, and that that was actually a post for the blog. Um, and and I and I just uh, you know I just decided I'd put together all those all those uh, 19th century printed references to these veterans plus one that never made the book that I I had been looking for at the time and never found by the time the uh, the book was published so I included that too. John, why did you decide to write this as a series of articles? Um, well, as I said, I I, I worked this up for my blog and uh, it. it in in that case, it was it was basically they were all contained in one article, um, which kind of allowed me to to connect to connect them even even more. And and uh, in each article, in each, each article, I, I wanted to place in context the the uh, the newspaper or other reference uh, to the veteran that, that took place in the nineteenth century. So whenever that whenever that uh, printed uh, reference was, whatever date that was, I I included events that took place around that same time in the 19th century that had to do with uh, either um, 
well, Af- African-American rights or the degradation of rights for the Af- African-Americans, but also uh, some of the great, some of the good things that happened to African-Americans at the time. So to place it into context and see what these veterans had to deal with after fighting for freedom in the revolution and fighting, fighting for American independence in the revolution. Um, when uh, Don Haggis, one of the editors for, editors for JAR, uh, contacted me and said, you know, asked me if I would have anything. I kind of looked at a few things I had, and that seemed to be the seemed to be the best prospect of um, of having a nice series of articles. I mean, I knew they wouldn't be all published in one, and I I, I told Don that. And of course, when he looked at it, he agreed. Um, but you know, it was way too long as, as it was. But I thought it would be interesting to. Uh, even though they weren't connected in one article, just with the titles, you could tell that they were linked. So you didn't have part one, part two, part three specifically stated in each in each one. But if you, if you saw the titles, they were they were definitely linked. And then you could you could actually look at each one and see you know see the uh, see the similarities and see and um, it just it I, to me it just brought to life the people but also what they had to deal with later in life and in context with with what they fought for in the revolution what were some of the challenges faced when researching this topic um well the first thing is and i and i realized this when when i did my book because when i did the article on on the southern veterans um the southern soldiers i like i said i had this 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 searchable Southern Campaign's pension site, which you know, it it, it made it a, a lot easier. Now, when I when I expanded it to the to all thirteen colonies, um, I don't think I got anybody for Vermont, but I can't. I might be mistaken. Uh, when I when I did that, I realized I had to figure out a way how to uh, discover soldiers of color who who left pensions. I mean, because most of them. I mean, there are there are ones that there you, there there would be somebody like uh, Prince Black or you know uh, uh, Cuffy Africa or Cuff Africa. Some some of the names are very obvious, but I would say eighty percent of them, maybe even more, have names that you can't distinguish from a white soldier. And there's no other way to distinguish them from uh, you know in like on returns unless they're listed as a Negro or a mulatto or whatever. Um. So luckily, <laughs> I discovered an online resource. It's um, it's Eric Grunset's. Uh, I think it's Patriots. I'm sorry, Forgotten Patriots. It's a Daughters of the American Revolution uh, publication. Um, I don't know if it's ever been published in hard copy, but it's available online and you can download it. And again, it's searchable. Uh, but basically, what I did it's 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 broken up by by state. Um, or territory that has has Vermont in there, uh, and what I did is I went through the whole thing uh, one by one. And the nice thing is, it be, beside each name, uh, it has the sources for that soldier. And it's it's, it's of course it, the citations are are in, a, are in a code. You know, there's a there's a uh, a reference in there where you can figure out what the codes are for the sources. But they included which men had pensions. So for me, that was a wonderful thing. And I found out that it wasn't perfect because I there were soldiers that I know had pensions, but they weren't listed as such in that resource. But but still, um, even with those imperfections, 
it was it was a great resource and it it, it you know it took time to go through but it, it was it was wonderful um and that basically is is the largest challenge uh for you know when when i when i wanted to research a, a really wider um you know the wider subject of and, and make it into a, a make into a book one of the figures you write about is hannah till can you tell us about her Sure. Um, first, I'd actually like to say, as, a, as an afterthought, <laughs> in my book, I have an appendix on African-American women who served with the Army. Um, I've written a lot about uh, female followers, followers of, of the Continental Army in the Revolution. Um, others have, read, have written about the, the female followers with the, the Hessian armies, the British armies, um, with loyalists, and even with the French, even though the French didn't have that many uh, women with them. So. But I thought when, once, I, once I figured I had enough material, I mean, I could have made it into a chapter, but it, like I said, I, I put it into an appendix. So there, there is information on, on African-Americans who were with the Army. And probably most of them were probably with the regiments, uh, just, just like, just like the, the, the white women who, uh, who, followed, who, who were with the Army. You know, they, were, they were following um, a, reg, a, a regiment in the Army Supposedly marching with the baggage, baggage often not marching with the baggage because they didn't obviously all listen to orders. Hannah Till's interesting because she was actually in Washington's general, as George Washington's military household. Um, she comes from, I'm sorry, she came from. Uh, it's either Boston or New York, I can't remember, but she wasn't from Virginia, and she actually came with her husband Isaac. Um, so they both they both uh, served in the household, and she I think served at least until 1780. I think at one point I think she even cooked her Lafayette for a while. Um, and you know, besides, I mean, there 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 are some records of her in in, in Washington's uh, Washington military papers. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things is that uh, she she actually had uh, a son while she was with the army at Valley Forge. I think I figured out it was probably the, the child was probably born about February 1778. And we don't know where the child was born, but if you go to Valley Forge today and go to Washington's headquarters, it was likely somewhere near where Washington's headquarters was, uh, where the child was born, because I don't think Hannah Till would have gone, gone very far from camp. I mean, she, her husband was there and he was still working. Um, so you know, if anybody that actually goes to, to goes to Washington uh, goes to Valley Forge, you know, if they go to Washington's headquarters, uh, think about that. Think about that that uh, that African American child that was at that time Hannah Till was a slave. Um, she didn't buy her her freedom until I think the end of '78 or into '79. I'm not sure. Uh, so she you know was a child born to a slave somewhere in the vicinity of Washington's headquarters at Valley Forge. Talk about Edward Hector. Yeah, um, Hector's interesting because, I mean, he he brings into mind Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, you know, I talked about the there's a, there was many. What well, I, I may have mentioned, I'm not sure, but there were there was many uh, black soldiers serving in Southern Continental regiments as there were in Northern Continental regiments. Now, I'm not talking about the Middle States because. New Jersey had probably for the entire war probably had about 20 African American soldiers in the ranks, um, which is you know not it's not not that not that many. Uh, it's still, but it's still a lot more than Pennsylvania had. Um, there's a 1778 return which uh, for 15 brigades in the army, and two of those were Pennsylvania brigades. One 
one had uh, two African-Americans in the brigade and the other one, other brigade had no, uh, none at all. Um, and why, why that refers to Hector is because he, he actually started out, well, he was with an artillery unit. He was with, he was with Proctor's artillery. And in 76, he was a bombardier. Um, now, as a bombardier, he could have given, he, he could have given orders to, uh, to, to, to white privates. Uh, or matroses. Uh, matroses were the military, were the laborers with the army or with the uh, with the artillery. Um, by '77, he had been relegated to uh, being a wagoner. And the only reason I can think of, think of is that uh, in January 1777, Pennsylvania had passed a militia law, their first militia law, and it uh, it barred African Americans from serving in the militia. And even though it wasn't even though it wasn't a, a strict rule, it's, it, it, there were very, very few African-Americans with the Pennsylvania Continental Line. I found, I found one who include, include my book. He was actually wounded at Brandywine. He, he, he served from 1777 to 1783. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for more, but there, but there were very, very few. And, and, and Hector seems to have gotten caught up in that. And it, he probably, he seems to have been, he was demoted from being a bombardier, which was a very responsible uh, position with the artillery um, to serving as a wagoner, which was a necessary position, but it, but it, it you know, it wasn't, wasn't a position uh, um, of responsibility that the, uh, that the bombardier was. Who was Thomas Carney? Thomas Carney is the one, the one account that I didn't have in my book. Um, I was trying to find more information on what, on, because I, I have an article that was written and I was trying to find more information about, he did something very remarkable during the war. I mean, besides the fact that he was from like seven, 1778 until 1783, which was remarkable in itself. Um, after the book, my book came out, I was finally, I was finally able to ch- chase down uh, an account of um, Carney serves, as I said, from 78 to, to uh, 83 in the Maryland line um, at the, uh, um, the siege of 96 in 1781, I think it was June, June, 1781. Uh, he was serving in the entrenchments and, uh, an officer, I think it was his company officer, uh, was wounded and he was detailed to bring the officer, take the officer back to the surgeon. Um, Carney was evidently was, was, was very, was very well built, very strong. So he carried this officer all the way back, and even when he got back to the to the surgeon, he was extremely tired because June in in South Carolina is, you know, extremely hot. Um, his officer never forgot that, and uh, you know, it was a Maryland officer, Maryland below below Mason's Dixon's line. It's a it's it's definitely a slave state, um, but but Carney, whenever they would have militia uh, militia parades um, or, or get-togethers. Uh, Carney would be there riding on ho- on horseback next to his his former uh, former commander from the revolution. That's how much he thought of him. Um, Carney was he wasn't a slave. He was a he was a free man. Um, but it's it's just uh, it's just interesting to 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 kind of tease out his record, but also find that one incident and and uh, and then see it go for, forward into the 19th century to see what a white officer uh, you know what he thought of, of his, of his former, um, black private. You write about a man named Oliver Cromwell. This is probably not the Oliver Cromwell. Most of us are familiar with. Tell us about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I said, he was, a, he was a New Jersey soldier. Uh, 
as I said, New Jersey didn't have very many black soldiers in, in their, in the continental ranks. Um, probably, uh, probably about 20. Uh, he was interesting because he, I mean, some others did too, but he, he served from 1777 again to the end of the war. Um, and most of that time he was in the light infantry company, which the, the light infantry companies were, were, were pick companies. So he, he was, he must've been a, a, a very good soldier. Um, except for, uh, in 1781, the New Jersey Light Companies were sent south with Lafayette, and Cromwell was left back. Um, I don't think it was because it was because he was black, because uh, there were, were other African Americans that, that served in the Light Infantry. Not many, um, I'll grant that. There were not many, but there were some. I think it might have been because he he might not have been suited for for that march all the way from uh, New Jersey all the way down to um, Virginia. Uh, it, he might I. I mean, I think he he was still a serviceable soldier, but I I, I think that that might have been the reason. But there but there's no reason given. He's 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 still in the Lake Company, but he, but he wasn't taken south. Um, his, I mean, he was in all the major actions of the of the New Jersey New Jersey Brigade, which is pretty pretty uh, impressive. Um, you know, Short Hills, Brandywine, uh, Germantown, um, Battle of Monmouth, uh, Battle of Springfield. Uh, and Connecticut Farms, um, the, all through the Sullivan's campaign in 1779, when they went up into uh, Iroquois company, uh, country, and uh, and raided the Indian towns and destroyed them. Um, but he also, at the time of the the newspaper article that was written about him, he was he was 100 years old, um, or thereabouts. Whether you know whether his recollection of his birth of his birth year is is entirely accurate, we can't always be sure. But but he was to a hundred, if not a hundred, and who knows, maybe even maybe even more than a hundred. Um, and it describes him as 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 just a, a, an old black man. Um, they might have described him as a mulatto man. He he actually, with some from some accounts, he might have had a mixed African uh, Indian blood rather than African white, um, which uh, in in some terms in Rhode Island and in the South they called them mustees. Uh, whereas mulattoes were white, white and African American, um, but the the picture that's that's, that's uh, made that you can get out of the newspaper articles this is this old old black man you know sitting in front of his house and talking to passersby and 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 you can you can picture yourself if you're young enough you can picture yourself uh, with as I am I mean if you're old enough let me put it that way I mean I remember World War One veterans uh, who were aged, but when I was young, um, a lot of us can remember world war two veterans, of course, because they're still around, but they're getting, they're getting up there. And that's what he was. He was, he was the same thing. He was a, a revolutionary veteran, just, um, a part of the town. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's interesting to think about, um, all his service and, 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 uh, where he was later in life. Who among your article subjects do you think was your favorite? Um, I say it has to be Hannah Till. I just because it, it it reminds people that that veterans veterans weren't just male. I mean, I mean, women women didn't weren't formally enlisted, um, but they served with the army, and hundreds of them served with the army. And Washington, though he though he didn't he didn't like having women with the army. He he knew he could not do without them, and uh, and. Um, Basically, they they 
they mostly washed for the men, so they, they actually did did uh, contribute to the welfare of the army. They they some of them nursed, uh, were nurses for the army. Um, but you know they they were there. They served. I mean, I've I've accounts of uh, of women with the, with the regiments uh, carrying full canteens into into line of battle and, and giving to the soldiers. Um, there's at least there's a few incidents where women took up arms. One one was at the Battle of Monmouth, and and I'm not I'm not talking about the Molly Pitcher, uh, Mary Mary Hayes. I'm talking about an unnamed soldier and an unnamed woman who probably was with the Pennsylvanians and advanced at the end of the day um, to face the uh, British Grenadiers. Uh, the story is that her husband was shot down and, and she picked up his musket and continued on. Um, you know, there are at least two women who, who fought with the artillery. Uh, basically, they there's uh, Margaret Corbin at uh, Fort Washington. She was she was grievously wounded and basically got a pension after the war. And um, and then Mary, uh, Mary Hayes at Battle of Monmouth. And. Uh, you know, women were in the thick of it. They 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 were having babies in the army, um, not just Hannah Till, but uh, you know, other other women with the regiments had had babies with the army. Uh, it wasn't an easy life, but it's 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 something that a lot of people don't really think about, and that's that's why I wanted to include African American women who served in that in that uh, you know in in that respect. Um, because besides Hannah, in my book, in the appendix of my book, I I have at least three women who served, um, served with the regiments, uh, you know, as camp followers or, or, or followers of the regiments. Um, and one of those was Judith Lines. Uh, she was an African-American woman. Um, and from her, and she's, she's actually in the book. Uh, her husband served late in the war. He, he actually maybe served earlier uh, in different ways, but he served in the Continental Regiment, uh, the 5th, Connecticut, I think, in uh, 1781 to the end of the war. And one of the most remarkable things I got out of that was um, she actually saved a letter that he wrote home to her. Because even though she was in, only in the Army herself about four months, she, uh, when she left the Army, she was home with uh, three children taking care of the property. And she saved, saved the letter he sent home to her among all the letters that are, that are lost that he, that he sent. And uh, so you get an idea of, of her, her home life and also what he's experienced in the Army uh, from this letter, um, which are extremely rare from white soldiers, especially white, white common soldiers, but, but uh, really rare from, from, from black soldiers to have that kind of letter. How do you feel this top, topic helps us understand the revolutionary era better? Well, I mean, any time... I mean, I I try to I try to, to bring the the participants to life to in in some respect, so you can actually understand what they went through, that you you can maybe even place yourself in their shoes, um, and that's why this series of articles I think uh, helps you understand the revolution better, but also helps you understand um, the revolutionary veterans better. Uh, and realized that there were, again, you know, with what I did with those articles, placing, placing uh, current events from from the 19th century at the time those the, the, the newspaper articles were written um, to get to let let you know uh, what was going on. I mean, for the Oliver Cromwell piece, uh, his his article, his newspaper article about him was 1852. So, current events included um, Harry Tubman's escape from slavery, 
the Compromise of 1850, uh, which included uh, the Fugitive Slave Law. Um, and then in 1857, uh, the, the Tawney decision uh, against Dred Scott. Um, but on the good, on the good side, uh, 1855, the first book about African-Americans uh, contributions uh, during the Revolutionary, Re- Revolutionary Era, um, which was William Nell's The Colored Patriots of the American Revolution. So you can see that you know, these revolutionary soldiers were finally getting their due. Um, you know, there was finally actually a book about them, even though they were recognized in other ways. And you can see what they, they fought for their country's independence, but they were being denigrated um, because of their, the color of their skin. And some of them were still being enslaved because of the color of their skin. So, I mean, that, that really puts the revolutionary era, in, revolutionary era into perspective. Um, and I hope puts it, puts it on a timeline that we can follow all the way into, into our present day. John Reese, thanks again. Thank you very much. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.